You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Well, hey. Good morning. Hey, good to see you. Um, yeah, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Austin. Thank you, Nicole. We love you guys. Um, I want to bring a report back from the men's retreat. It was a fantastic time. If you're a guy in here and you feel any kind of jealousy or remorse, I'm not trying to put that on you, but that might be from the Lord. Um, (laughs) But I have to tell you, sometimes, you know, we had such deep conversations and we just got to connect and all that stuff, and I feel like it's my obligation to kind of bring back some of the insights that we had and some of the deepness. So the question that was posed at the men's retreat that I want to pose in front of our church, and this may take prayerful consideration, do you say marshmallow or marshmallow? Raise your hand if you're a mellow. Okay, raise your hand if you're a mallow. All right. It, it's in great debate. See, these are the things, these are the kinds of things that like shape men of God, okay? Um, but it was a great time. So for all the guys that were a part of it, it was awesome. It was great. It's up at Tadmore. Uh, we'll do it again every year for sure. And part of that, just a quick plug, we've been kind of, you know, we have our yearly getaway, which is so fun, but we can't always just get away for a weekend with jobs and all sorts of stuff. So uh, we also do, like, there's things like men's breakfast that we do periodically. We do some events and stuff, but just to grow community and, and also just in your hub groups, just as guys just connecting and stuff. So a little plug for that. Um, but guys, I'm really excited. So um, in the month of June, there was kind of a four-week period of just kind of saying, okay, where, where do we feel like God's leading us? Where do we feel like we're just kind of, we want to be centered in? You know, we just got through a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which I found really insightful and great. And then also Galatians right before that, so it felt kind of heavy and in good, in a good way. Um, and so we kind of thought, what would be a good way to just slow down and really just center ourselves in something um, just rich and something that is easy is simple but yet at the same time as profound as complicated is as hard as human beings are um, and so we are going to spend four weeks four Sundays on Psalm 23 which is just such uh, I hope if you hear that and you're like it's only six verses like trust me it is more than just six verses uh, there's a lot to it Um, So one of the goals, one of the things that I want to charge our community with, because it is six verses, and this psalm has been used for, I mean, just thousands of years, literally, uh, for just comfort, for pouring into people's hearts, uh, used in times of loss, anxiety, having very little, and it's also been such an uplifting psalm uh, in times of joy, when there's bounty, when there's times of much. Um, I want to charge our community to memorize this. I think a lot of us, maybe you remember it, maybe as a kid, be like, oh yeah, and the Lord is my shepherd, and then something else, and then the valley of death, and then something else, you know, that kind of thing, but to really put it to heart. So we're going to kind of take it stanza by stanza over the next few weeks, really dive into it. So much of this psalm uh, that was written by David has David's heart in it, just has this this big, profound uh, theological mysteries he's unpacking in this tiny psalm because of his experiences, because of actually being in the valley of death, because of actually experiencing, being need, needing to be led by a shepherd. 
Um, and so that's the goal. We're going to read it over and over. We're going to go through it slowly, but I would just charge us over the next month to memorize Psalm 23, and not just for the sake of having it memorized, but to actually ha- for the sake of having it be a routinely said thing, and a routinely said and reminded, reminding our hearts and our minds that the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want, and those types of things. So we're going to dive into that. So please uh, make a commitment to put that to memory or do something with that. And there's some really cool actual, we'll get into this a little bit, but really some cool literary devices for Psalm 23 that'll help us uh, memorize it. But one of the major themes in the Psalm obviously is shepherd, okay? The shepherd, the theme of shepherd, if you know your scriptures or even just a little bit about it, it's been consistent throughout the scriptures and not just for us not just for us today who has the canon, we have kind of the whole completed canon of scripture, but for the ancient Israelites, the, sh- the theme of God shepherding his people, his character of a shepherd God is just throughout. Let me read a few passages. This is God as shepherd when the people were coming out of Egypt. Um, Psalm 78, 51 to 52 says, he struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 79, 13, this is the people waiting on the Lord. It says, but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. The prophet Isaiah, he's speaking to the people, reminding them of God's greatness. This is Isaiah 40, 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And not only God and his character, but then he also charges Israel to have leaders that are like that, that are under shepherds of the community. Psalm 78, 70 to 72. And he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. As the image bearers of God, he also says, and you go and do likewise. Don't forget, I am God, the shepherd, but I'm asking you to be under shepherds of that. Again, Isaiah, the prophet remembering the mercy of the Lord and commissioning the people to remember that. Isaiah 63, 11, then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? And of course, in the last one, I'll say this morning, pointing towards the ultimate shepherd that would be provided to the people forever in Jesus Christ. Micah 5, 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So some powerful scriptures there, right? Some powerful worship to be done on how faithful God has been as the good shepherd to his people throughout the generations. And Psalm 23, this is one more and one huge of those powerful scriptures. Like I said before, it was written by David most likely when he was king. Most likely when he reigned as king, and as we'll see later, it's significant for him to be writing from this perspective 
And before we get into this text, though, there's some really cool structural factors I want to show at the psalm. And listen, I get it sometimes when, when you get into, like, the structure of the psalm and all this kind of stuff. It can feel really nerdy. It can feel really academic. Don't lose the heart. The whole point of this is just to say, what, it's just six verses or whatever. There's content in it. And then it's also, we have to remember, this is brilliant literature, too. Like, this is a beautiful song that was written in order to be sung and said over and over and over and over again. So just like any artist, anybody who would compose music, they want not just good lyrics, but it to be a beautiful melody, for it to be working together, reminding you of certain things. Um, so remember, this is, a, this is written by a, by a musician, by someone with the heart of God who just loved and wanted to impart to God's people something they can say over and over and over again. So the first cool thing, and I got this, there's a really good book, highly recommend it. It's a little dense, but it's good. Uh, this guy, Kenneth Bailey, uh, the book's called The Good Shepherd. Um, it's the chiastic structure of this psalm. So chiasm, if you don't know, it's a literary device where ideas are presented in building order to a point, and then they invert back to the beginning, Okay. So key benefits of the chiastic structure help with bringing symmetry to the text and order, like we talked about. It repeats important points by use of pattern, and it helps tremendously with memorization. If you remember the ancient Israels, they did not always have a written text near them to just pick up a Bible and read it. They didn't have a Bible on the toilet so they could remember, hey, I'm sitting 10 minutes, I should read. You know, They didn't have that kind of stuff, so they actually memorized this stuff. This stuff was spoken over them for them to repeat over and over and over again. So I, I, made, a, I made a slide for this so you can kind of see the chiastic structure of it. So I'll read the Psalms, and as you can see, there's, there, it kind of builds to a point, and then it inverts back to the point, and it repeats itself. So A, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see that? It's a Lord shepherd, no wants. B, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We're going to get into those stanzas in the next few weeks, but just food and drink, provision. C, verse 3, he restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He rescues and gives security. Then it kind of pinnacles here, even though, or, or D, 4A, even though I work, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Then it goes backwards. C, 4B, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Back to security and comfort. Verse 5B, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Back to food, drink, sustenance. And then verse 6A, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So again, that could just be like, oh, that's, that's just scholastic, that's whatever, but how cool is that for David to write something that even then, if you could even remember those, and maybe you have better words for it, how, how helpful that could be to remember the structure of the psalm. A second cool kind of literary device is actually the use of uh, point of view. So there's actually all points of view in this psalm, first person, second person, and third person. And if you bring them out, it's really fascinating. Let me read you all the first persons. I shall not want, I will fear no evil. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Second person point of view. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. Third person, 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What's cool about that is even taking out of the psalm as a whole, they're all beautiful truths, right? They're all incredible declarative truths about God, uh, application truths about ourselves, how we're going to apply that. Right? It's putting them together, though, is when you get just like the good, rich theology and good teaching about God's character and good application of our heart posture before this good shepherd. And the third one I'll point out, there were a couple more, but I just want to do three. If we step back and we kind of look at the psalm as a whole, you'll see the bookends, how it starts and how it ends. So we go from at the beginning, we get the Lord as shepherd, and at the end, we get the Lord as host, Lord as the great host. To go from shepherd Lord, the one who is with his people like a shepherd with his sheep, guiding them, being with them, protecting them, keeping them in the way they should go, all to get to the banquet of the great host, the king of his kingdom, who hosts the weary journeymen, who he guided to sit at his table, not just as guests, but as heirs, as kin. This Lord is one and the same. Do you see, even in the bookends of this psalm, the Lord that you are journeying to is the Lord you are journeying with. He's with you the whole way, and he's bringing you and providing you to bring him to himself, or bring us to himself. Right? This as God is the beginning, the middle, and the end, the alpha and the omega, right here, just in structure. We haven't even read it yet, and already there's so much rich worship that can be done. And here's the thing, when we think about that, just that point real quick, I want to pause on that, just that we're going to God, the journey to God or to his righteousness or whatever, but, it, but that same God is with you on that journey. And a lot of us are on a journey, we've been on a journey, a hard journey. Life is tough, right? Life is really tough. And I don't know if you're here and you're struggling on that journey towards God, towards his righteousness, wanting to be more like Christ in that and it seems so far away and unachievable, and it feels like over and over and over again, it's just this big set of failures. But this psalm is a centering for all of us, right? That we can stop and realize that same God that we are pursuing so badly and want to know so badly is not only pursuing you, but he's also leading you through pursuing him. Like he's also providing exactly what you need, the grace you need, the mercy you need, the love you need, everything we need to pursue him. So that when we get to him, he'll say, I've been with you this whole time. It wasn't about your journey, it was about our journey together. And this psalm, it centers us as, a wonders, as the wondrous God, as the great and good shepherd revealed to us on this side of the cross. We get the canon, we get to know uh, so much of theology and New Testament and all that. But we have to go back with David, and we have to just sit in this Psalm 23. So over the next few weeks, we're going to get into all the stanzas, a lot of the stories of David's life, all sorts of stuff. But today, we're actually just going to rest in verse 1. Okay, it's, it's very memorable. It's very nice. I think we can memorize this as a community. We can start here. And we're going to give it each, each phrase its own weight today, okay? So verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In fact, would you say that with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Powerful, powerful verse. 
There's not enough stuff that can be said today. I'm not going to do a justice of what this phrase could change in your life, could mean to have a daily saying of that, to surrender to another person that's not you as Lord, as shepherd, and to say, I shall not want. But let's take it kind of phrase by phrase. So the Lord. So David, he did not know Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth came years and years and years and years and years later than David, but he knew God. The name of God was so holy, so divine, that ancient Israelites did not even speak God's name as casually as we like to in today's age. In fact, and this could be another sermon, but back in Exodus 3, remember when God met Moses at the burning bush? He told him to, he's going to use him to go set the people free, right? And Moses, he said, well, when the people say, well, who's the God that's sending you? What shall I say is your name? Eventually, God told him to say Yahweh, which means, he, he, it really means he will be, but the famous line of I am. I am who I am. This would mean to the people that this is the God of their ancestors, the ancestors of Israel, who has not abandoned you. To all those 400 years in slavery, he was, he's with you, and he has heard your cries, and he's here to deliver you. Or what's said often in our scriptures, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God of all to come has heard you. So this name, this name, the Lord, would be used over 6,000 times in the New Testament, but over a long period of time, Israel's leaders wanted to preserve the honor of the divine name. So whenever they were reading the scriptures and they came across this name, they would change it to Adonai, meaning the Lord. So they would kind of move away from saying Yahweh. And I, even me, I feel like maybe I shouldn't be saying it, right? But there's, there's grace in that. Thank you, Jesus. Right? But saying the Lord, right? There's a reverence to it. This was such a crucial shift and a cultural shift. It passed all the way down to where people started translating the Bible into English, which is in like the 1500s, by the way. And they translated God's name. And some of you have this in your Bible where it's all capital letters, L-O-R-D. And that's that. It's the name of God, but it's an Adonai. It's, it's kind of the preserving of like, this is, this is like barely what we can say because of how honorable we want to keep that name. And I love that, right? And going back to David, though, his use of the, the Lord in this psalm was to honor God's name. He was part of that. And again, he wanted to teach the people something they could say. So he could have been maybe rebellious and just like bold and brash and actually said, no, say the name of God. This is it. But he's actually, there's an honor to it for him to say, I'm, just because I'm king of all of Israel doesn't mean I can just use this word flippantly. Doesn't, it means I have to also submit to this. So the Lord Right, he's showing this. But this is what's fascinating. In the next line, he's showing his devotion to God, where he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Right, if this was a declarative statement for the people to be reminded of their God as king, he's like, hey, you all need to hear this. He would say, the Lord, he is our shepherd. Right, the Lord, the great shepherd of his people, which are all true. But David goes from the reverent, honorable title of the Lord to a directly personal phrase, he's my shepherd. What would a shepherd mean to people in David's time? Okay, real quick on ancient shepherding. You can go do your own research. But remember, for much of their history, the Israelites were a nomadic people, meaning they roamed around a lot. And they would set up tents, and they'd find places, and they'd go. As soon as God would move, they'd follow. As soon as God stayed, they'd set up camp, that kind of thing. 
Even when they had the promised land, and this was their land they were supposed to do with all of the exiles and stuff, they still kind of were a people that had a land for a while, and then they'd lose it. And then they come have it again, lose it. So they traveled from place to place. But not only did the Israelite leaders need to find good dwelling for the people, but the shepherds had to accommodate all the livestock as well. Livestock for livelihood, livestock for sacrifices, for temple worship. Right? The livestock can't just eat all the food and drink or contaminate all the water for the people. So often, when they would set up camp or have their cities or whatever, the shepherds would take the sheep out of the encampment or the city to the hillside, roam the hillsides to find other food and other water. But here's the reality of that. The moment they left the city, they were vulnerable. The shepherd was all the sheep had now to guide, protect, and keep them on the path to what they needed. And as sheep are prone to wander, someone to bring them back into the fold and keep their paths straight. So for David to bring the people of God into the reality that they, just like sheep, without a guiding voice in a presence of a good shepherd, will go astray. They were like sheep prone to wander and guys, we today are not too different. David himself knows all this too well. A little bit about David. David grew up as a shepherd boy. He was the youngest son of his family. And honestly, shepherding was a little bit of a menial task. It was kind of just given to the youngest son, especially. Shepherding was to be done by the youngest because it was just kind of a thing to do. It wasn't that important. And if you remember in 1 Samuel the prophet Samuel, God, God commissioned the prophet Samuel to go and anoint the new king of Israel. And he goes and he talks to Jesse and he says, bring out your sons. And he brings out the tallest and the strongest and kind of goes down there, right? And at the end he says, no, none of these are it. Do you have, and this is, this is 1 Samuel 16, 11. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he, and Jesse, I love this, he kind of almost sheepishly, not to, uh, ironically, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Like, even his dad is like, yeah, but, but he's the shepherd, you know? Like, come on, like, this can't be, this can't, he can't possibly be king. And ironically, as you know the story, yes, he was. And David was crowned, and actually a title for him that was very famously known among Israel was the shepherd king of Israel because of how he grew up. But look how humbly David, so knowing that being king, writing this psalm, remembering as a shepherd, Look how he humbly places himself, not as like, oh yeah, I know what shepherds do. I know what that looks like. He humbles himself as a sheep in the psalm. He submits himself to be not the shepherd, but like the sheep, helpless, in need of shepherding. Sheep often have the, the, the history of not being very bright, right? So it's like saying, I can't even figure this out on my own. Like David is teaching whoever is reading this psalm, we cannot know the Lord as the great shepherd unless we've come to see ourselves as the sheep. Which this all leads us to the last phrase of this verse, this powerful verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I read a story uh, by, by a professor, pastor, and author. His name is Timothy Whitmer um, in his book, The Shepherd Leader. And I'll tell you the story that he writes. The story is told about a group of tourists in Israel who had been informed by their Israeli tour guide after observing a flock and their shepherd that shepherds always lead their flocks from the front. He told his attentive listener that they never drive the sheep from behind. 
A short time later, they drove past a flock along the road where the shepherd was walking behind them. The tourists quickly called this to their guide's attention, and he stopped the bus immediately to step out and have a word with the shepherd. As he boarded the bus, he had a sheepish grin on his face, and he announced to his eager listeners, don't worry, that wasn't the shepherd, that was the butcher. <laughs> oh, so good. Why do shepherds lead from the front? Why do shepherds lead from the front? Some obvious reasons. To be seen by the sheep, right? It's obvious. To be able to see where they are going, right? If there's a big hill and the sheep are already going over, how is the shepherd going to know, right? But notice the wording. It's not that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I do not want. Like it's just removed all temptation. David wrote this as a command and a commitment to himself and to God. I shall not want. I will not want. I have decided to trust in the shepherd, not my own appetite. I will trust that today's manna is deemed enough for what today brings. Which just brings up the question right now to pause and to say, do you trust yourself to know what's best for yourself? Do we do that? Do we trust ourselves? Now, why does the shepherd go out front? It's possibly because we don't know what's best. It's possible. There's a silly example. My kids aren't in here, I don't think. There's a silly example, but if I put a good, well-rounded dinner at the end of table with good bread and meat and veggies, some fruit, a tall glass of milk, but then I line the table with soda and candy and donuts <laughs> and sugar... Right? Would, I trust, would I trust that my kids make it to the dinner plate unscathed? Would I trust that? Right? My kids would. I don't know about your kids, but you know, probably not, right? But real life example, do I trust myself to make the best decisions for my own life? I'm sure we all have the right uh, expectations, the right meaning, the right intentions, but could I trust its motives, right? At the end uh, of the day, Part of surrendering to the Lord as shepherd means we defer to want what he shows us is best for us and to train ourselves to not want anything else. It's a training thing. A shepherd is needed. Like sheep don't lead because sheep will stop at every blade of grass, not thinking of the 99 behind them or that night is coming or that there's a lion 10 feet away in the bushes. The shepherd leads because it's the shepherd's wisdom and discernment that is needed. So the sheep can have the, the sheep position can have the posture of saying, I shall not want, meaning I will trust in the shepherd. This is nothing new, but you know, TV and app ads have been doing this forever. They're creating wants and then turning them into felt needs. Right? <laughs> it's shocking how well that works. Oh, you don't have this new kitchen gadget? Oh, you haven't really lived, you know? Like, man, you haven't even begun to live life until you've tried these new shoes. Or my favorite is when they create an unnecessary problem and then they solve it with a Snickers, you know? <laughs> I, I just, I went on YouTube compilation and just watched it forever. There's ridiculous situations and like, hungry, need a Snickers, you know? But unlike fixing hunger problems for the next hour at most, what David is getting at it's not just wants in life, it's examples like dreams, desires, goals, that kind of stuff. He's talking about the deepest desires of our hearts. 
Another translation of this, I shall not want, is I lack nothing. What do you think sheep really want, really desire? Food, water, shelter, security, and maybe not real sheep, but, but potentially love, <laughs> right? Just like to be cared for. We humans, we're given a different brain. You see that in the creation story. He actually created us to have dominion over animals in the land because we can think, we can rationalize, we can do this, we can choose this, right? To think bigger and higher thoughts than animals so we can continue in God's creation to flourishing. But the deep need of our hearts hasn't necessarily changed. Throughout all human history, when we boil down the deepest needs of what it means to be human, food, water, shelter, security, and then I would definitely say love, right? This is what the good shepherd brings. This is why we as God's people, we want the posture of lacking nothing, right? The God who is with us provides. Now, there are very real needs. It's hard to look at someone with very real, tangible needs that are suffering and saying, if you know God, you should lack nothing. And I'm not that insensitive, right? It's not about that, but it's the heart posture of saying, but I'm going to trust my God. I'm going to trust my God that he will provide, and so I will move forward in wisdom. I'll move forward in community. I'll move forward with the right counsel because my God is providing and guiding me. Jesus, when he comes onto the scene, he is the image of the invisible God, revealing God's character in a person. He's speaking to his disciples in John 10. He is telling them about the relationship between the sheep and a good shepherd. Not just any shepherd, but the good shepherd, full of trust and dependence. This is John chapter 10, verse 3. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. It's powerful. They know his voice. They're so familiar with the shepherd and the voice. And of course, as this is an allegory for what he has come to do for his people, he embodies the role by announcing in a few verses later, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let me ask a hard question I've just been mulling over this week. What more could God give you and me to show his love and provision for you? What more could God give you? And really try to answer that in your own spirit. Because sometimes we have answers, and it's difficult because they're not great answers, right? Like, oh, this, this, and then you start breaking it down. It's like, oh, you know, I think he's already done it. Our wants, our bodies, everything says, oh, more. I think there's more, but our heart could actually be trained to say, it is enough. Listen, at the end of the day, like David, if you identify at all with being a sheep in that position, then you are in the right position to see Jesus as the good shepherd and the joy that comes from learning his voice and seeking his guidance and leading and honestly, I'm convinced more than ever there is a need for a shepherd to stand here and say, we desperately need Jesus as Lord. We desperately need to be guided and shepherded. And you, you may not agree with me on this or not, but it, doesn't, it seems like our society has kind of put the sheep in charge. 
and this isn't like a political commentary. I'm not talking about any one person, any generation, anything, but it just kind of seems like our society often feels shepherdless, maybe even anti-shepherd. It's like society decided to let the sheep make all the decisions. The sheep can decide for themselves what's best for them. The sheep can choose what their deepest heart's desires are. But before someone or an age group or a political party or anything comes to mind, I don't want to talk about that, put yourself there first. Isaiah 53 says this very, very convictingly. 53.6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Powerful, right? We're all in that camp. We're all in that boat, but the Lord has laid him. God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but that's the point. The point is to look not at ourselves, but to Jesus. What we don't want to get caught up in doing is the blind leading the blind, the sheep leading the sheep. We want to look up from our small little worlds and see a God who is leading us into something so much bigger than ourselves. And as we're reading, this is not just an us problem. Like humans from the dawn of time have rebelled, wandered, gotten lost, ran away, remained unfaithful, you name it. But God didn't. In fact, he took steps to make sure all the lost would have a chance to be found by going to the cross, by laying all the iniquity on him, by defeating sin and death, raising to new life. Jesus made a way for his people, his sheep, to be remade and to find their satisfaction and wants and desires in him, to reorder their desires and wants to what he desires and wants for them for the sheep to know his voice and follow him. So I'll ask a few questions. Do you know his voice? Do you find yourself unsatisfied with life, wanting something different, something more in life? Do you think there's a lacking of this good shepherd in your life? Allow me to suggest it's possible if we feel that, if we feel that emptiness or so, let me just, it's, it's possible that we're focusing on the small patch of mediocre provision right in front of us that maybe we've created and not on the shepherd leading to a greater place. It's possible that at some level we've taken our eyes off Jesus and placed them on our wants and our ability to achieve them. It's possible, consider it. There are absolute real needs in life, and that should not get minimized. But if we believe Jesus is the good shepherd, then we can also believe he is inviting us on a journey with him where he will lead and provide the whole way. The question isn't, will he be faithful? The question is, do we want this? If you say yes to any of that, the number one goal is to surrender to him. We can't say that enough here at Hub City. Surrender to him like David did as the good shepherd. And number two, to learn his voice like a sheep. There are countless practices that out of his grace God has given us to help tune our eyes, our ears, and hearts to see God, hear God, and know God. This psalm is the invitation to be showered in the grace of Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, who would leave the fold to come rescue you, to bring you back, because he knows he can be what we are truly desiring, because he made us, he created us. 
and he can recreate your wants to be in step with his. Let him continue to lead you where you couldn't lead yourself and, and allow him to carry you back to the fold where he will take care of you from a place of never-ending love. I want to end by reciting and reading the, Lord's, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, the whole psalm with you guys, if you would read it with me. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.